Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay, and I am really excited for today's episode not just because we've got our first guests in the short history of this show, but also because this guest is one of my favorite people on Sun's Twitter. You may know him as the co-host of the former Seven Seconds or Less podcast. You might know him from his newsletter, or you may just know him as the four-point play on Twitter. But today, I'm very happy to welcome David Nash to my show. David, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Gerald. That was probably the... Uh best intro i've ever ever had i don't think max even gave me a better intro than that on our own podcast. So, uh no very excited to be on first guest on the new pod uh it's exciting for me and we're we're on the back of finally another sun's win so uh excitement all around on this one yes absolutely we've got to gas each other up these days and <laughs> after the last couple of weeks we got to gas up the suns as well because uh tonight's game was I think Kellen Olsen said it best on Twitter. It's technically a bounce back game, but it kind of didn't feel like that. It just kind of felt like they took care of business, which was nice to see after the struggles of the last few weeks. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty ugly there for most of it, to be honest. And I think given the, the short history recently of being in those games, having big leads and then blowing them, I think everyone was kind of on their edge of the seat, probably until I think it was about the seven minute mark uh, <laughs> of the last quarter there is where I finally kind of went, yeah, I think this one's home. Uh, and funnily enough, that was probably the most enjoyable basketball then from then on, <laughs> uh, which probably says a lot. I think the guys freed up a little bit. They started moving the ball around and kind of just having fun with it. And I think our tension as fans and people covering the team definitely kind of got doubled up by the players there. I think, you know, everyone always says that it's like losing is a, a really hard thing to break. You find new ways to lose all the time when you're kind of stuck in that rut. And, um, you know, alternatively, winning can be contagious as well. And I just hope that the Suns can maybe use this to to go on a bit of a run themselves because it's a lot more fun when they're winning, Gerald. Oh, yeah. that And that's that's a great way that you put it, that when you're losing, you can continue to find new ways to lose. And that's what it kind of felt like the Suns were doing. So let's touch on that for a little bit because their recent struggles – I felt like they did a better job with a lot of these things in Thursday's game against the Warriors, a win finally. But there are a couple of things that may rear their heads from time to time and could be a problem moving forward. Um, I'm curious to see, to hear what your opinion on this is because you've talked, you've written a lot about DeAndre Ayton lately as well. Mm -hmm. And one thing that stands out with Ayton as far as when this team is on and when they are not. And we saw that in Wednesday's game as well as like when they are force feeding DeAndre Ayton in the post, everything seems to slow down in a very bad way on the offensive end. And it kind of feeds into their defense as well. What are you seeing from when, you know, that first quarter switch versus that second quarter switch as far as how they're playing different styles of basketball, it seems like. Yeah, I said it tonight. I just think that there's a, a real direct correlation there in Aiton's kind of mood and attitude uh, when they try and force feed him and um, fail 
probably nine times out of 10 most of the time in these games that we're seeing. And then his head drops because he kind of takes the blame on himself for uh, not getting it or maybe he gets frustrated that he's not getting those touches. And then I think we see it directly impact his defense, which is the last thing you want, because that's been the thing, at least this season, that he can hang his hat on for most of the time is the defense has been really good, even when the offense is a little bit spotty. So I think I said it in yesterday's game or maybe after, you know, in between games, potentially. I just think as a general rule, if you're taking more than two passes to get the ball to Aiton in pretty much any position, I think Mm. you've already lost. I think mm-hmm. they've been doing yeah they've been doing an okay job of doing you know maybe some high low stuff when he's getting fronted in the post or you know some quick kind of I think Crowder's probably the best at it or the one who's trying the hardest you know Paul will flip to Crowder on the perimeter and then Crowder will very quickly whip it to DeAndre kind of as he cuts through the paint and I'm okay with that even when it doesn't come off all the time but this stuff swinging it from side to side trying to get him you know mismatches in the post and stuff it's just not working at the moment it's just not the best use of DeAndre right now offensively. And then I guess the biggest disappointment as you touched on is it started to bleed over to how it's impacting the team defense and his defense in particular as the guy who kind of anchors that. So that's the real discouraging thing from my standpoint. I can kind of put up with some, you know, offensive, um, you know, concerns or just trying to work through the, the kinks here with Chris Paul and, you know, Jay Crowder and some new guys on this team and how they're all going to make it work going forward. But, you know, tonight in particular when, or sorry, last night against um, OKC in particular, when it really started to affect the defense, that's kind of when it gets really concerning for me. Right. And you look at that second quarter against OKC on Wednesday, um, obviously the thing that jumps out is that they only scored 10 points, but then you look at how many they gave up and they gave up 28 and that's mm-hmm. concerning is when it starts to bleed over defensively. And and I feel like that doesn't just go for Aiton as well. I feel like when you look at this team in the crunch time, which has been another struggle for the Suns and kind of an unpredictable one, given that they have Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor, <laughs> yeah. you, you notice that they're, you know, they're a minus 35 overall. They've been outscored by 35 points in 60 crunch time minutes this season. So they played the third most crunch time minutes, but are 29th in point differential there. So yep. it's no surprise they're four and seven in games that have involved crunch time. Um, you know, they're shooting like 37%, 20% from three. They've got like a negative 22 net rating. It's just really bad. But the thing that stands out is that their D rating jumps to like 120.2. So when they're not making shots, it feels like sometimes it really does bleed over into the defensive end and and that's how you cough up leads i feel like yeah it's just trickling all the way through obviously defending after a made basket is already made easier by the fact you get a little bit of time not much in today's nba to kind of get back and get set so there's probably a little bit of causation there we're just missing shots but yeah i think it is trickling into the mindset as well and everyone's just dropping their head I, again, the, the best way I can put it is how us as fans are feeling watching these games. You can kind of see it 
on the court as well. Guys are tensing up. They're dropping their head. It's like, oh, not again. It's happening again, the same <laughs> as last night. We've just lost another 10, 15-point lead. And, you know, these guys are humans. As much as we lose sight of that sometimes when we talk about them online, I think they're going through all the same frustrating emotions as we are watching the game sometimes. And I think that's where Monty and Chris, and I've been critical of both of them, really need to, you know, earn their salaries you know, Monty got brought in a five-year deal, probably uh, even though coaches' pay isn't, isn't publicized like the players, it's probably quite a significant deal, uh, particularly coming out of the Suns and the way that they've paid coaches in the past. And, you know, everyone knows that Chris Paul's making $40 million. So I'm not worried about Chris and Devin so much longer term, and I think they'll work it out. I think a lot of smart people have pointed out uh, that this is kind of how things went with Chris Paul in OKC to start last year as well. And I think he just takes some time to learn what guys need when he needs to take over. And I think we're just taking a few lumps early on that will hopefully hold us in good stead down the track. But I do think that it, you know, that and the eight and stuff is kind of linked. I think Booker and Paul probably knowing that it'll sort itself out longer term have kind of put it on the back burner a little bit and really prioritized Aiton and getting him going uh, because they know that that's just as crucial to their long-term success. So I think some of those numbers that you went with there with Booker and Paul will will slowly start to see improve as uh, Booker gets back on the court, hopefully, you know, from next game, hopefully, fingers crossed. But um, mm. yeah, they've really prioritized Aiton here. Um, I'm just a bit concerned that they're prioritizing it kind of in the wrong way, Gerald, because I think that it's night and day between the good games we see from Aiton where he's kind of just an energetic machine, cleaning everything up, getting a lot of putbacks and lobs and alley-oops. And, and then these games that we're watching where they're trying to force feed him, it's it's just not working. And that I can't see working longer term. So I kind of hope that they uh, snap out of it and, and kind of go away from that sometime soon. Right. And, and I agree because you can definitely feel the game shift. You can feel the momentum shift, just the flow totally yeah. changes once they start getting into that force feeding thing. And it's, it's part of the reason why they've coughed up some of these double digit leads. You know, they were up by 23 against the Pistons lost that game in OT. They were up 10 against the Grizzlies and, and they had a, a narrow fourth quarter lead late in that game. Yep. And, and, and like you were saying, when, when we can feel it as fans, they can definitely feel it as players. And I feel like that's definitely contributed to some of those late game struggles where they're just like finding new ways to cough it up and not be able to close out. And, and I think, like you said, there's just too much talent, too much experience, too much basketball IQ with guys like Crowder and Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker for them to not improve it. It's just, it's frustrating when you want this team to get off to a better start, given the state of the West. Um, and when they've got a league high 12 of their I think 17 games now decided by single digits, which is yeah. the most in the league. Um, you know, it, it's traumatizing to watch that same scenario play out over and over again on Thursday. They didn't leave it into anyone's hands. They took it, they just made sure we didn't have any crunch time minutes of any sort. So that was good. Um, and, and I think the thing, the key here, and we're, we're going to segue into our quote of the week that mm -hmm. may have contributed to this moment was, Monty went on a tirade, which, you know, knowing Monty, he's usually a pretty even keel guy, cool, level headed. Um, and that was about as angry as I've seen him after the Thunder game. And, and here's what he had to say. 
we miss shots and we let offense dictate how we're going to play. That's what's messed up the second quarter. And down the stretch, we have unbelievably poor uh, finish. We got open shots. We got shots, missing shots under the basket. It's just poor, poor execution and poor finishing. That's it. We scored 97 points. We shot 37% from the field. At, at some point, you just have to finish out games and understand what it takes to be a really good team is consistency, period. Until this team understands what it, consistency for four quarters, that's gonna, we're going to feel like this a lot. We can try to get everybody to feel sorry for us. It, it ain't going to work. We got to be consistent. This is on us, period. Okay, so hearing him talk about consistency, it's, it's basically the same thing that we've been saying watching the team that, you know, until this group brings it for all 48 minutes, until there are no letdowns, until they respect their opponent, this type of thing could continue to happen again. I, I'm curious, when you heard that clip or, or saw Monty's tirade, what were your thoughts on what he had to say? Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction was like everyone's, I think. It, it was a Monty that we haven't really seen before. He was a very kind of loving, supporting coach last year, <laughs> even through their struggles. And I think he knew just with the demographic of the team and where they were at that that was the right approach, even though I'm sure behind closed doors he was frustrated at times and probably let the players know. But, yeah, after that Thunder game, he kind of decided enough was enough and he was – going to put him on blast a little bit and you know I was going to throw it back to you a little bit here in that I was just reading through uh this game or you know I know people will be listening to this after I should say the Warriors game uh post presser that you just came out of and I think some of the comments from Monty were basically putting his hand up that it was time to do that in a sense and I think having those two games back to back having this quote of the week uh, kind of in the in between there and then seeing them respond the way they did is is really fascinating because you know when Monty or any coach goes and does something like that you're hoping to god that it comes out in a positive way and the players mm-hmm. don't turn on you for you know calling them out like that to the media but that was the the quote of of this game you know he said what did he say that he likes to call them up rather than call them out mm-hmm. and i think that's just monty perfectly just decided that he had to get a little bit angrier with them um wasn't doing enough accountability stuff by the sounds of things was his admission after this game against the warriors and and that was kind of the reason for it and i think it it was about time i just think that um he you know, one thing that I pointed out earlier today was he he was quoted in the preseason around Chris Paul feeling like he was too restrictive on Chris in their previous relationship uh, with New Orleans and that he needed to let him go a little bit more. And I think that kind of played into how some of these things have gone, not just with Chris, but with the whole team here. And he kind of just decided after that Thunder game that he kind of had to pull them up. There was just too many things that he was seeing uh, that they weren't kind of being consistent enough on. And, and that was kind of the whole reason for it. Yes. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up from the preseason because it definitely has felt like a case of Monty and, and CP3 not always being on the same page because I, I think Monty is giving him a little too much leeway there. And, you know, like we saw in the Nuggets game, there was that one rebound with that Chris Paul got with like 2.5 seconds left and neither one of them called a timeout and Chris Paul wound up throwing that half court shot. I feel like that's just one of many examples where 
they're kind of expecting the other one to kind of like what we're seeing with Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the court, as far as not wanting to step on each other's toes. Um, And there needs to be a little bit more structure there, a little bit more demand. And that's kind of what Monty was saying for the Suns in general, um, you know, about calling them up instead of calling them out. But, you know, he, he definitely, he said that he felt like he wasn't challenging them enough. He wasn't presenting them with enough of a challenge. And he, he called himself, he said he felt like a doofus because he wasn't holding them to a higher standard. And I feel like that's kind of what we saw in the Warriors game tonight is that he wanted consistency for 48 minutes. And, and for the most part, you know, the second quarter was a little iffy and it was definitely a weird game. But for the most part, it was much better on that front. And I think some of the changes that he made to the bench helped a little bit. I'm, I'm curious if you saw any of those as well, as far as like Etwan Moore getting minutes, Galloway getting back in the rotation. Some of the, the bench lineups that he used tonight felt a little bit better to me. Yeah, it, it's such a hard job coaching. You know, we all sit there and go, <laughs> oh, okay, this is weird. Now, you know, Moore and Galloway are in together. Why is Nader playing so much? <laughs> uh, you know, tonight, all of a sudden, Javon Carter doesn't play until um, dead time at the very end, garbage time. Um, you know, he's not got pain and Saric. You know, Frank's playing, I think Frank played more minutes or the same amount of minutes as DeAndre tonight. You know, you can kind of sit back and go, what the hell is he doing here? You know, he's just called the team out for consistency and he's just all over the place with his rotations. But that's what's so hard about being a coach. He's trying to get them out of a funk. He's only got these small little windows to pull certain reins and hope that it's the right decision. And thankfully for all of us tonight, he managed to make just enough of them to kind of get them out in front and then keep them out in front and not lose the lead like they have in the past. But he's doing that without his backup five, without his backup one. And that throws all the rotations out. It also throws the role of everyone out. I said to someone today, you know, it basically throws everyone up a rung on the ladder when a guy like Devin Booker isn't playing as well because everyone's got more responsibility. Thankfully tonight, everyone kind of stepped up to the plate and took on that responsibility. But yeah, the key one for me, I mentioned it there, was no Javon Carter in replace of essentially playing uh, Galloway and Moore together. And I kind of sat there with a wry smile, Gerald, because I think, you know, in the preseason when we signed those two guys, everyone was sitting there going, okay, we've got Carter, we've just re signed on a three year deal. Campaign looked good in the bubble and deserves his chance. Galloway is there and Moore's there as well. And they're both coming on the vet min and probably still want to play. Like, what's going to go on here? And, you know, I kind of sat back and just said to people, you know, the guys who are going to deserve to play are going to play and the rest will kind of sort itself out. Even then, I fell into the trap earlier this season was like, how is Etwan Moore just not playing at all when yeah. you need to change something up? And it was confusing me. You know, I was getting frustrated by it, even though in the preseason I'd said the complete opposite. But I think tonight was the perfect encapsulation of that is kind of what I'm getting at here is Carter just shooting 28% or something from three and, and just kind of trying to do a little bit too much. It was time to to change something up. And I just thought the vets in that second unit, if you're going to go 
you know, I don't necessarily agree with Monty going with these all bench lineups all the time, but if you're going to do that, get a couple of guys out there that are steady. And, you know, I think a few fans were getting on more because he just wasn't hitting shots, but Mm. it's not just that. And, you know, the guy hasn't played all season. You can't just expect him to come in and hit 50% of his shots straight off the jump. So, you know, you got to look for the little things. And I just think that we looked steadier with those two guys out there in that second quarter stretch and then whether it was late third, early fourth, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. There was another stretch where Curry was out there and you were kind of going, if they're going to make a run, it's now. And they just managed to do enough to keep them at arm's length. And I think credit to Monty and credit to those guys. He, he pulled those reins tonight and it certainly seemed to work for us. Right. And, and I think the important thing with Moore too is that with Devin Booker out, he's a useful guy to have in there because you're already down technically a backup point guard with Devin Booker. You're down your main backup point guard with campaign out. You know, Moore is a guy that drives and can create for others off the dribble a little bit. Um, You know, like you mentioned, he wasn't hitting a lot of shots, but he was putting a little bit more pressure from the point of attack and he was doing fairly well defensively tonight as well. Um, So a lot of people were wondering why Javon Carter wasn't playing. The ball tends to stick in Carter's hand a little bit more than it needs to. And like you mentioned, he hasn't shot the ball well this season. So um, I I think the thing with Monty, and like you were saying, is that he's a guy that is going to tweak things as needed, and he's going to give different lineups, a lot of different lineups, looks, especially early in the season to try and figure out this rotation. Because he has, this is a problem that he didn't have last year last year the problem was trying to find a quality backup point guard this year it's trying to find you know he's got lots of players that are playable now and so finding those right lineups and battening down the hatches for potential playoff rotations is important now and it's I think that's why we're seeing a lot of experimenting in addition to you know a lot of guys being out right now Um, but we're going to take a quick break before we Head in a more positive direction. We've talked about the Suns' struggles. We're going to touch on the reasons why we think they'll be okay for the long term right after this break. Okay, so we've gone through all the different things that uh, the potential struggles, the potential areas for concern. Um, Now let's talk about why we think that this team is ultimately going to be okay. And for starters, we should mention, obviously, Devin Booker's missed the last three games. Sharich has missed ample time this season. Cameron Payne has missed a lot of games and then he was back for a stretch where he just didn't look like himself. He was playing through a sore foot basically that is holding him out again. Um, But David, you've, you've kind of been on this bandwagon as far as like, even when they fell to 500 and it felt like the world was falling in because they had lost five of six games. I had seen you tweet that, you know, like these are things that, you know, I think in the long term this team will ultimately be okay. What, What's the biggest reason for you that you feel that way? It, it's just depth, I think, and and kind of the quality of guys that they have at every position. I think this season is like no other, not even like last season. You know, we're seeing the bubble um, created, you know, for all the skepticism, myself included, it created a very safe environment where you didn't have to worry about guys being taken out. And I think what we've seen in the last 10 days or so is – the added, um, 
I guess, variable of health and safety protocols means that if you get an injury or two and then you cop that on top of it, all of a sudden you've kind of got a situation that you wouldn't often be in. It, you know, it's pretty rare and you're pretty unlucky if you lose, you know, three or four rotation players all at once. And I just think that that variable throws that, it has thrown that in where we've got, you know, at the moment, Devin Booker has a hamstring, Saric is out with health and safety, campaign happens to turn his ankle at the same time and then you're kind of just staring down the barrel of missing you know three or four key rotation pieces all at the same time and quite important ones I think going forward if you know fingers crossed the NBA can sort things out um, you know with the COVID situation and that isn't a variable that we have to be concerned about as much Mm. I just think at any given time with a a little bit of luck we're going to have a pretty solid rotation kind of one through eight or nine and you know as you get to the pointy end we're hoping this team is a playoff team the rotation's gonna kind of shrink even more and i just think the quality of those guys that they've got with one or two guys on the outside looking in that can pinch hit like we saw tonight with an Etwan Moore or a langston galloway i just think from top to bottom this roster is you know better than you know pretty much any phoenix roster we've seen in the last eight to 10 years as we've been missing the playoffs. And I just think the quality at the end of the day always wins out in the NBA. And you can't forget, you know, we've got Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the backcourt for all their struggles. They're still in the conversation as, you know, the best backcourt in the NBA. And I just have too much faith and too much trust in those guys to get it right longer term. And then I just think all the pieces, the complementary pieces around them, um, are going to be great as long as you know we might get to a guy in a little bit called DeAndre Ayton who needs to step up a little bit in in some big games to fully trust him going forward but really you know at the end of the day Gerald it, it all comes back to that backcourt you know that's two all-star all-NBA type players when they've got things going and you know the NBA is a quality over quantity league when you get to the pointy end as I said so uh, yeah, I've got a lot of faith in those guys, maybe a little bit too much, some people might say at this point, given what we've seen. Um, but I just think they're going to be good, you know, in in the long term. Yeah, I, I think for me, it comes down to two things. Number one is the faith in that backcourt, like you were mentioning, because, you know, as good as Chris Paul has looked in the last couple of games with Devin Booker out, they haven't quite figured it out when they've been on the court together. And you've, you know, everyone has seen kind of the numbers for when those two share the court versus when Booker's on and Chris Paul's off and vice versa. Um, I think that's going to improve. And I, I, I think, especially in the clutch, Devin Booker has not been good in crunch time so far this season with, with, you know, the exception of a shot here or a shot there. He just hasn't been himself this season in general, and he hasn't been bad to clarify. And defensively, he's been trying a lot harder than we've seen in seasons past, but um, I, I just think that those two are going to be a lot better than they've been, especially if the Suns are able to keep their head above water in this stretch right now with Booker coming back from the hamstring. If they don't have to rush him back and he can come back fully healthy, I, I think those two are going to be a lot better than we've seen to this point. And then the second thing that stands out to me is, you know, we know that this could be a high variance team just because of the number of three point shots that they take. Yep. But, you know, the dis- the disparity between their shooting and wins and losses is, is pretty striking. And you see this with a lot of teams, but they're shooting 40 percent 
on about 37 attempts per game in wins. This is before Thursday night's results. Um, 40% on about 37 attempts in wins, and that drops to 31% on almost 42 attempts in losses. Um, And they've missed a lot of wide open threes. You know, Monty has said it almost in every single game that they've lost or where they've coughed up a lead is, man, we missed a lot of wide open shots. And last year you could say, okay, maybe this team was not as good a shooting roster as we thought it was, but the people that they have on this team are good shooters. Like they have good shooters and they're basically in the bottom third in three point percentage on wide open threes before Thursday's game. I don't know how much Thursday's game will affect that, Mm -hmm. but you know, in in the bottom third in the league and three point percentage on wide open threes. Like they have Mikhail Bridges, they have Cam Johnson, they have guys that are going to knock down these shots. I think part of that shooting is just a byproduct of what we've been talking about as far as, you know, defense bleeding into offense and vice versa when the offense kind of slows down and they start force feeding it to DeAndre Ayton and stuff like that. It just, I think it kind of messes with the way that they've been playing because other than that, they play very, loose they move the ball pretty well um so i I think the three-point shooting is going to improve you you like to say that as someone who covers any team or a fan of any (laughs) team like oh yeah the three-point shooting will definitely get better but i really do think it'll be better than you know in losses they've shot 32 percent on wide open threes and that's like those are that's with the nearest defender being six plus feet away so wide open like 32 percent that's that's kind of striking to me. Um, but you know, we're, we're, uh, we're going to transition into someone that you've written about recently because I thought your breakdown of Deandre Ayton was great the other day and your most recent issue on the newsletter. And if you guys haven't subscribed to David's newsletter, you absolutely have to. Um, it's, I really like, you do a great job of breaking it down for people who are experts in, in following basketball and also people who, are casual fans and trying to learn about the game, which is a hard balance to strike. So um, your Aiton piece was well-timed as well because (laughs) he's in the middle of this four-game stretch where he's just a monster. He's like a Western Conference Player of the Week nominee. Um, You know, he's dunking on people. Aggression is up. And then, of course, (laughs) after that four-game stretch, he has five points on two of seven shooting against, uh, against OKC. Um, I liked the checklist that you laid out and the thing that stood out to me as far as telling when Aiton is on is the offensive rebounding thing. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, first, thanks for the the compliment. That's pretty much what I strive for with the newsletter and, um, absolutely know, been hopefully getting better and better in that. Uh, I, I, I'll disagree with you on one thing. I, I think it was the most poorly timed newsletter <laughs> I've ever done considering I was pumping him up right before a back to back. And he's kind of laid two eggs here. I mean, definitely against the thunder. Uh, you could argue his stats were okay tonight against the warriors, but, uh, he was pretty lethargic going up and down the court. But yeah, to answer your question with the offensive rebounding, I'm right there with you. I think that if you're looking at the checklist and wanting to see whether he's on, on any given night, I think that's the one I didn't ma- manage to actually find an example from the last, those four games. I really wanted to stick just to those four games with the clips that I was highlighting, mm-hmm. but there's one key thing for me 
uh, it's called, you know, generally called the swim move where basically you've got a guy boxing you out, but you're bigger than him. And you basically just get your forearms underneath his arms and just swim him out of the way. If you imagine that he's, you know, the defender is water and you're trying to swim through it. And that is the, the key. I always look for that early with DeAndre. If a smaller guy is switched onto him, boxing him out, and he basically just moves them out of the way because mm. he know that he knows that he can, that is always a surefire sign for me that you're going to have a big game from DeAndre. Every time I've noticed that, it's always ended up being a fully engaged game. And when DeAndre is fully engaged, it always translates to good play and good stats. It, it just always happens. That's the most frustrating thing about it is because he's not always fully engaged. And that's why we get the the bad games from him, unfortunately. But yeah, offensive rebounding, if you're looking at a checklist, that's definitely right at the top of it because that is showing that he's not going to get pushed around. He's not going to get let these smaller guys just box him out. Um, you know, when they're not really boxing him out, he's kind of, you know, you have to be pretty lazy to get boxed out by guys that are, you know, six inches smaller than you and have a lot less uh, weight than you. So that's the key one for me. Uh, it's just motor um, and it really just speaks early in the game in particular to whether he's on, uh, as you say, in any given game. Yeah, and I like that that one's near the top of the list, not just because it shows his engagement level, but because it's kind of a microcosm of how he can be so effective without needing the Suns to force feed him the rock all the time. Because this is something that, you know, this guy could easily lead the league in offensive rebounds. And I think that was one of the goals that you have for him um, for the rest of the season was to eventually be that guy that's leading the league in offensive rebounds. And he absolutely can because he often does get those mismatches out of switches with that end with the Suns shooting a long range shot. And he has that mismatch where he can do that swim move or just move his way to the rim. Mm -hmm. And he puts, he usually puts himself in pretty good position for those boards when he is engaged. Um, I I just, I, I feel like that was the thing that stood out for me over that four game stretch is we've seen Aiton have really great games, really incredible performances where he kind of plays outside of what we would expect from him on a given night. That four game stretch, he wasn't like doing anything too crazy. That's outside his repertoire. Like all of the things he were doing, he was doing was just, you know, attacking offensive glass, cleaning up around the rim, um, screening hard and rolling hard and getting Mm -hmm. those early seals. Like you talked about to punish those mismatches. Um, Oh, and the big the big one for me also, in addition to the offensive rebounding, is his conditioning because it feels like his conditioning has been key to the nights when he's playing well because we've seen it when he runs full speed down the court, nobody is stopping. <laughs> like when he runs yeah. full speed and he seals his guy, that's when it's okay to force feed him in the perimeter because he's already got that early advantage. Um, and that's a huge one is just watching for those little telltale signs. So if you guys have not read David's piece on DeAndre and I thought it was a really great breakdown of, of some of these things we're talking about as far as, you know, <laughs> because as fans, it's easy to get caught up in just looking at the box score and being like, well, Aiton only has four shots at halftime. Like, why aren't the Suns getting him involved? Look at some of these things and see if he's doing these little things. And if he's not getting shots, then maybe you can have a gripe about it. But. A yeah, lot of these things he can set himself up for. 
Yeah, and I just I love that you mentioned the conditioning there because the thing that I loved about the four games is he was kind of telling on himself a little bit. You know, I think early on in the season, no one's conditioning was great, mm-hmm. but the games that you watched against Houston and Denver in particular, where he was playing major, major minutes, basically matching up with Jokic in the Denver series where, you know, Jokic is unfit as he looks can play all day. You know, he just keeps going and going and going. So it kind of set the bar. And that's why I was so excited to, to do that newsletter issue after those four games, because whether it's conditioning or touches, or I think there's so many of these conversations around Aiton that get really convoluted when Mm. it's just really simple. Like he just showed us in those four games, he can run up and down the court for 36 minutes. He can do it. I don't want to hear anymore that he, you know, isn't fit enough or, you know, doesn't quite have his fitness there because he just showed us Mm. and he can get 26 points against Houston, you know, purely off lobs, dump offs, offensive putbacks so the whole argument about oh we're not feeding him enough that's why he hasn't got 20 plus points it's just it's kind of been proven wrong just in those four games and that's why I was so excited about it and I don't want to get on him too much because I do think that the team as a whole also has a a role to play in it and and getting him involved it's just Mm -hmm. not the involved that we seem to come across on Twitter and, and other places talking about the Suns as I would kind of see eye to eye with. It's not setting him up for post feeds. It's not, you know, going back and forth with three, four passes to try and, you know, feed feed him, as people say. <laughs> it's about getting in the right spot, keeping your motor running, because the longer the game goes on, you're bigger and stronger than everyone. And it just, it, it happens all the time. We see it all the time. Late in games, he picks up key offensive putbacks because everyone's tired and he gets himself to the front of the rim like you were saying before putting himself in great positions recently and he just beats everyone to the ball i was really disappointed with the dent with the uh first denver win i think it was when when booker got um injured because cam johnson came in fought for that ball on the ground got it to to, uh deandre and he got the n1 and i think it put us up by one point Mm. in that in that um, moment. And that was the moment that Devin Booker went out. And from then on, we lost the plot and and lost the game. And I was really disappointed because I thought that was a really key. DeAndre needs these moments to kind of, um, you know, really ram home that he's doing the right things. And if all those little things come in losses, I think it's a lot harder for them to kind of point out in film and stuff like, look, you just won us the game on this really simple play. And it's not all about, feeding you in with you know 20 post touches a game because you know the, it was the Houston game for me I think I tweeted it uh it was like you know alley-oop dump off put back alley-oop dump off put back you know one post move uh transition seal two free throws like literally all of his shots I can't remember how many it was it was like 12 or 13 to get his 26 points you know they were all off just cleaning stuff up and I, I think that's where I get really, I get myself into trouble sometimes talking about what the Suns need to do because it's on the team to drive an attack and then it's on Aiton to get himself in the right positions. And when they play that way, it, it that's the smooth basketball, the flowing basketball that we've seen so far. And then it's just so frustrating that they go in a completely opposite direction sometimes because it just seems so obvious to me. I, I, I don't know what we're missing the only thing that I can potentially think of that we don't have 
you know, the inner workings on and particularly not myself, you know, I'm not going to press conferences and stuff like you is, you know, you do need to factor in the coach's job with managing egos and personalities and things. But, you know, Aiton always says he's not about that. You know, he doesn't care. So we can only take him for his word on that. So I just don't understand this philosophy that they fall into sometimes mid game, trying to kind of feed him in the post and, and force things. Yeah, I think it's just that logical fallacy of thinking that the way to get a back-to-the-basket big like him involved is by putting him in those situations. But the truth is, and it's funny because like you look at his conditioning, him being effective in the way that we see him be his most effective is a lot less tiring than making him like post up and do these back-to-the-basket moves because that can be a grind. When exactly. You're, when you're kicking the ball around the perimeter and this guy's trying to fight for post position for you know, two to eight seconds at a time. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a weird thing where they feel like getting him involved is these cookie cutter post up type things that the defense knows what's coming the entire way. Um, so hopefully they move away from that and, and see that he's most effective in ways that are useful for the style of basketball that the Suns want to play as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think the last thing I want to touch on with Aiton real quick is you mentioned this as far as his defensive versatility and the hips. And <laughs> that's, that is the one thing I forgot to mention about your newsletter that I enjoy is the, the gifs that you put together, <laughs> because um, for those of you who haven't seen it, there's uh, David has just has a good way of blending basketball plays with gifs from like TV shows. And like, in this case, there's one on, Aiton using his hips and he's got the one from happy Gilmore where it's all in the hips. <laughs> I love those. <laughs> but um, what, what for you, I mean, we've, we've known that Deandre Aiton has the physical tools to be such a good defender, but what stands out for you as far as him actually making some of that progress? Um, because coming out of Arizona, that was the big concern and, and he's already yep. in his third year looking like he's capable of being that guy. Yeah, I think the way he's reading the game now, um, yeah, I think he's clearly watched a lot more film and worked on a lot of different reads and things. I still think he can get exploited sometimes. The Warriors even did it tonight, kind of away from the basket. He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't read the game at like the highest level, uh, like a Draymond Green or something like that, which is certainly no slight because you know he's you know, de- defensive player of the year type stuff year in, year out in, in his career. So uh, you can't always expect uh, a guy like DeAndre to, to live to that level. But you said it, like he's got all the physical capabilities, you know, even more so than a guy like Draymond, who's quite small, but has the the length, you know, DeAndre's got the quick feet, he's got the height, he's got the length. Um, he's got, you know, those quick hips, as you say, the, the quick feet to, to go along with guards on the perimeter. So I think he has all the physical tools, which made him is, you know, what made him so enticing as a prospect, even though, you know, as you said, coming out of Arizona and particularly the way they got bounced out of the tournament, that was kind of the big um, knock on him. But I think uh, his coachability, uh, I mention it all the time with him and it's why I'm still so high on his potential going forward because they've, this doesn't happen with, you know, number one, uh, big men who are, you know, as skilled on the offensive end as DeAndre Ayton. You don't get a guy like that in his second or third year who's about to come into his, you know, second contract 
Um, you know, who, <laughs> funnily enough, DeAndre has his own comments about his second contract and making sure he gets paid on on that one. But that's the funny thing about it. You know, with those comments that he had about just wanting to make it to that second contract, they've they've molded this guy into a guy that's really bought in on that end. And that doesn't often happen with young guys. And I think we don't credit that enough with DeAndre is, you know, guys want shots coming into the league. They don't really want to do the dirty stuff. They don't want to do defense because defense doesn't get you paid, particularly as a young guy, you know, offense does and potential on that end tends to. So we kind of do need to check ourselves sometimes and, and give him props for how much he's bought in on that end, because that is the the real reason for all his progress on that end from, you know, years one to three is he had all the tools. He just needed to put it all together and understand, understand the game a little bit better. And I think the Suns have also done a really good job of simplifying the role for him. You know, the heavy pick and roll league, they put him in drop coverage. He, you know, as I said in my newsletter, he can kind of sit a little bit higher than a lot of other modern centers in drop coverage because of those hips, because he can keep up with guards. And I just think they've done a really good job of making sure the play's always coming at DeAndre. Because as I said before, he doesn't read the game. And I still think, you know, I'm really excited and anxious to see him in potentially playoff basketball where teams are really scouting. I think they'll really try and do what we saw against say the thunder and the warriors, the last two games, you know, Al Horford tried to drag him away from the basket Mm -hmm. uh, and make, make him get back to drives, helping off Horford. He really struggles with that. The warriors really tried to put him in some ball screens and things to try and get him thinking and processing to work out where he's supposed to be. But fundamentally in, you know, every game that we watch pick and roll drop coverage uh, even his help defense on the weak side. Now they've really done a great job of just simplifying it for him. And he knows exactly what he needs to do and what role he plays on that team. And when, particularly when the action is coming at him, he's just, he's a phenomenal defender. I just don't think there's any other way of putting it, whether it's bigs or smalls, he's got all the tools and he's just starting to piece it all together. And it's really, really exciting. Absolutely. And that's, that's uh, one thing that we can cling to, even if the offense has been a little bit lethargic at times over the last few games, is, is hopefully that defensive improvement and buy-in continues. Um, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to skip the G-rated this week because we had a lot of good Suns talk. And to be honest with you, I, I'm not ready to dive into the uh, head fuck that... 30 coins is so um (laughs) i don't know i don't know if you've seen it david i know you said you were looking for a new show this is one that will keep you up at night i don't know if you're into those type of shows (laughs) yeah probably not but uh i i do i do love this section of your podcast i've got to say so i'll definitely be listening out to see what else you can put me on to in the future and yeah i probably let you down a little bit there i didn't have anything to uh bring to the table i haven't uh kind of binged very much recently uh watching too much sun's basketball obviously <laughs> but um you know I, i'll always be listening out for for the end of of your podcast in this section in particular to uh see if you can tip me off to a couple of good things yeah absolutely and i appreciate that because that's exactly what it's there for when we're not watching sun's basketball we got to watch something to take our minds off it and uh you know, somehow 30 coins helped me decompress after a couple of Suns games the last few weeks, oddly enough. So um, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell the people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can read your work. 
Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm the four-point play. It's the IV Roman numerals four-point play. Uh, and the Substack uh, newsletter that we've referenced quite a bit here in the pod, if you're not subscribing, uh, would absolutely love it if you could. Uh, it's free for everyone, and that is the fourpointplay.substack.com. Uh, no Roman numerals in that one, just all, all normal letters, the four-point play. So, uh, yeah, hope you can find me, interact with me, and love talking about the Suns and uh, love podcasting and, and being able to scratch the, the itch every now and then. So <laughs> thanks very much for inviting me on, Gerald. Absolutely. And, and you guys, if anyone out there is listening to this and you don't follow David on Twitter or subscribe to his newsletter, make sure we get that taken care of. David is one of the best at what he does. Um, but that's going to do it for episode three of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, write me a review with a couple of shows that you've been watching lately if you haven't already. Until next time, this is Joe Borgay signing off.